Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey there, fellow true crime aficionados. We're the host of Bad Axe, a true crime podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aaron. Join us every Thursday for twisted true crime tales of dark deeds and despicable people. We focus on lesser known unique stories with a new case each week. We've covered family annihilators, cannibals, revenge killings, killer kids, mysterious murders, survivor stories, and much more. We've even tackled stories of people who blame zombies, vampires, ghosts, and voodoo for their bad acts. Of course, we know they're the only ones to blame. You can find us everywhere you get your podcast, or you can visit our website at badaxpod.com. If you like fresh stories and new perspectives on crime, Bad Axe will be your new jam. Join Bad Axe every Thursday. Stay safe, y'all. See you soon. and welcome back to another episode of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. This week I bring you vampire legend and lore and the strange connection it shares with the early understanding of disease and affliction. While I have your ear, I also wanted to let you know that I'll be teaching the first of, I hope, will be many English courses this fall, so episodes of the podcast may be staggered depending on the workload. The concept of teaching at the collegiate level is still quite new to me, and so it might take me a couple of weeks to get into the swing. As always, I'll keep you posted as things progress. If you'd like to support this podcast please head on over to the link in the show notes and check out Cotty's fabulous fishy footwear. Head on over to Cotty's.com and use code IDENTITYPOD, O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y-P-O-D, and save 10% on your order. Cotty's has wonderful slippers and flip-flops to suit every taste, and they're whimsical to boot. So turn that trouty-mouthed frown upside down, and snag a pair of Cotties today. And now, on with the show. Perhaps one of the most influential horror films of all time is F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, an expressionist horror film released in 1922. It was an unauthorized adaption of Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Stoker's heirs sued Murnau, ordering that all copies of the film be destroyed. A copy, of course, slipped under the radar, and Nosferatu still lives on today with a ravenous cult following. But the same can be said of vampire folklore. That's the reason why Nosferatu holds a spot for third best-reviewed horror film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes. 
people are still watching. Enthralled by the cinematography of a silent black and white film that first premiered in America seven years after its release in Germany. Since the release of Nosferatu, vampire legend has been at the forefront of popular culture. From Fright Night 1985 and Van Helsing 2004, to Leslie Nielsen's vampire comedy Dead and Loving It 1995, and Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer 1997 to 2003. The story of the vampire and the struggles that one without a pulse might face enthrall us. They captivate us and make the small hairs on the back of our necks stand up. Well, aside from the Leslie Nielsen movie, anyway. But vampire folklore isn't always about entertainment and celebrating characters that embody the truly tortured spirit of a creature of the night. Vampire legend have existed for millennia. The Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, and Romans all shared cultural folk tales of demonic entities bent on drinking the blood of the living. In fact, beliefs regarding these legends were so strong that they created mass hysteria that led to executions. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, many believed that those who suffered from tuberculosis were actually vampires in disguise. Individuals with TB experienced loss of muscle mass, exhaustion, lack of appetite, a chronic cough that produced blood, redness, swelling around the eyes, causing light sensitivity, low body temperature, chills, and malaise, and when one member of the family came down with TB, often the whole family would be affected. When a family member passed, they'd be buried for a short time, then dug up and their corpse examined. Blood in the mouth, paleness of the skin with no general decomposition, or bloating of the corpse were all signs that their family member was actually a vampire, feeding on them nightly and stealing their health. Now, we understand now that bloating is a natural part of decomposition, and TB is often accompanied by a chronic cough that produces bloody sputum. But early on, in many cultures around the world, the fear of having a loved one turn into a vampire was very real. Crystal Ponty penned an article for History.com entitled When New Englanders Blamed Vampires for Tuberculosis Deaths and explained that, quote, in some parts of Massachusetts and Maine, bodies were simply flipped over and left alone. In Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Vermont, villagers burned the hearts and livers from bodies of suspected vampires. In the 1990s, archaeologists discovered 29 skeletons in a gravel pit in Griswold, Connecticut, which had once served as a colonial-era graveyard. The body showed signs of tuberculosis and had been rearranged into skull and crossbones patterns. The case, known as the Jewett City Vampires, revealed one of the more unusual consumption rituals." End quote. After some time, there would only be skeletal remains, and at that point it was up to the family of the deceased to decide whether their loved one being undead was a concern. If it was believed that the person had become a vampire, the corpse or remains would have the head removed and the bones would be rearranged. 
They sometimes would even remove the legs to prevent any possible nightly walkabouts. By the end of the 19th century, folk beliefs began to fall to the wayside, and science swooped in to explain the signs and symptoms of tuberculosis. German physician and microbiologist Robert Koch identified bacteria that caused the disease, and the population, over time, came to understand that this explanation was rooted in fact. Rabies was often linked to outbreaks of vampirism, which would cause the afflicted to become senile, be light-sensitive, as well as to garlic, and there's that nasty propensity to bite people. Rabies and tuberculosis were often mistaken for vampirism, but according to folktales from Greece, Romania, England, and Japan, a person can become a vampire not only from being bitten, but also because of this list. If they ate of a sheep that had been killed by a wolf, if they were the child of a woman who was once looked at by someone who was a vampire, if that person was a nun who stepped over a body that had been exhumed or had not been buried, if they had teeth when they were born or stillborn, if they practiced sorcery, if they were an illegitimate child or their parents were illegitimate, if they died before being baptized, if they were excommunicated from the church, if they were the seventh son of the seventh son, if they had red hair, if they were suddenly killed or committed suicide, or if they renounced their religion. In order to free oneself from the vampire curse, the afflicted would have to do one of the following. Either dig up a corpse of a suspected vampire, cut out its heart, and burn it on a sacred stone. The ashes would then be mixed with water or wine and drank. Or burn and grind the bones of a vampire and blend with flour, make bread, and then eat of the bread. Surprisingly, none of those suggestions seem particularly appealing to me. There were also ways to protect yourself against vampire attack. Some vampire folklore tales say that a small bag of salt should be carried at all times. According to vampire legend, if salt is spilled on the ground, the vampire will have no choice but to stop and count each individual grain. In a pinch, bird seed can be substituted. It's also said that sealing your home with salt can protect against creatures of the night or against those who might bring harm. Sprinkling salt around door and window frames will keep vampires and other demonic creatures at bay so long as they're not explicitly invited to enter. In Romania, it's believed that a young boy dressed in all white and sent into a cemetery on a white horse can find vampires beneath the earth. If the horse stops atop a grave, you've found a vampire. In Slavic society, it's believed that the spirit lingers 40 days after death. In southwest Romania, in the small village of Craiova, in February of 2004, police investigated a case of grave robbing. Recently deceased villager Petre Toma had been dug up and impaled. According to his family, he'd become a vampire. They believed that Toma was returning from the grave each night and drinking their blood because family members felt ill and tired, feelings that they were unable to shake. 
Six weeks after his funeral, his corpse was dug up, and upon examination they found that his hands were no longer clasped. Rather, they were at his sides, and his mouth was full of blood. The villagers did what their beliefs dictated. They used a pitchfork to remove Thomas' heart, and finding that there was also blood in that, they burnt the heart and mixed the ashes with water. Sharing the mixture amongst themselves, instantly they felt better, and the family was no longer plagued by nightly visits from Toma. This case is not unique in and of itself. There were many people of different cultures throughout history who believed the vampires were real, and because they were a real threat, certain precautions were taken when preparing a body for funeral. Those with birth defects, such as cleft palates and other deformities, might be singled out. In this case, the body is pierced through the heart or the trunk using an iron stake. It's said that iron is a natural ward against evil, and it'll pin the vampire to the earth, preventing him from rising from the grave. In other cases, bricks or stones were forced into a corpse's mouth, effectively breaking the jaw and preventing the vampire from feeding. A more familiar practice to modern-day vampire aficionados will likely be the use of garlic as protection. Vampires are said to despise garlic, and in many instances, the mouth of a corpse might also be filled with garlic. Today, there are people who claim to be vampires. There are people who drink the blood of the living, but they're not the real deal. Popular authors like Stephen King and Anne Rice have written about these blood-drinking creatures of the night, but the story is just that. In the case of vampirism, I think we can drive a stake through it and put it to rest. But, you know, just in case, I think I'll sprinkle a little salt before I go to bed tonight. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in next time for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until then, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you by host Janine Mercer. The podcast is written and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is created using GarageBand. You can find The Odd Pod on Twitter, Insta, and TikTok at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure to mash that subscribe button so that you're in the know when a new episode drops, and be sure to tell a friend about this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Please be aware, if you purchase an item from one of my sponsors using my promotional code, I will receive a small kickback. Every little bit helps.